Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Good morning. How are you guys? Yeah? Me too, thank you. This might be the last Sunday that I come up here with this. This is the goal. Tomorrow I see the doctor and we'll uh, hopefully be done with this and I'll be driving again. Can you imagine not driving for six weeks? I couldn't until this. Um, thanks, Aaron. Let my life be proof. Um, so, you know, there's that old saying that, um, you know, no matter what we say, um, our life speaks louder uh, than our words. Or that old saying, you know, I can't hear what you're saying because your life is screaming at me uh, it, with something that's so different. We want to talk about that uh, this morning. You know, when uh, Troy was talking about the, the house yesterday, uh, this has really been the fifth house that they that folks have done in the last few weeks. Uh, they came alongside uh, some families uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, a big group of you guys, and served them. And then last Sunday, kind of a special, or yesterday, kind of a special project. And we're grateful because it's a tangible way to express the love of Christ for people. It, it's, a, it's a way to say without you know, without words, without pushing anything, without, you know, um, any other kind of whistles and bells or requirements or strings attached or anything, just to come in the name of Jesus and, and love people, uh, let people know that we love them, let people know that we care. And, and I think that that um, needs to be more of what the church is known for, uh, that we're known for how we love each other and how we love the world, how we love uh, people in general, how we care. And so it's such a beautiful expression of that. And, and this morning, it really helps us uh, in our series on the cure for the common life, because we've been talking about uh, this idea of uh, the common life, uh, a life that maybe we've sort of settled in. Uh, we've kind of lowered our expectations. Uh, we're thinking more about how do I just get through this? How do I survive? Uh, how do I get a little bit of security, a little bit of comfort, and, and ride this thing out and, and not have too much pain in my life, but not have too much excitement either? But how can I sort of cocoon my life a little bit and settle in uh, to get through life? And we talked about that's not what God has for us, but God desires for us to live an extraordinary life not a common life, but an uncommon life, a, a life that has more impact than it really should, a life that has an impact beyond our status and our wealth and our education and all of those other things, but it's a life that's built on who Jesus is in us and his spirit that works through us and how God can use us for his work and for his kingdom. And so we've been talking about the cure for the common life and what it means. And so we talked about not settling uh, and then we talked about finding your sweet spot, what that looks like, what, what has God equipped you to do, and, and we've talked about what it means to be part of the body of Christ, and, and we've kind of walked through this, and today I want to put, um, I, I put another ingredient in, I want to add another part of it that sort of unlocks the power of this, that all of the things that we've been talking about that we can be, and all the things we've been talking about uh, that we can do, but what unlocks the power uh, behind our actions, behind what we do. And the Apostle Paul helps us with that. He helps us to understand what it means to live an extraordinary life. 
And so this morning, we're gonna look at a really familiar passage, uh, a passage that we feel like is familiar from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, as soon as I say that, a lot of you think, oh, yeah, I know that. That's the wedding passage, right? Uh, that's the love passage. That's a passage that you always hear when you go to weddings, and, and that's w- what they always read. And, and so some of us, you know, that do weddings a fair amount, we kind of start, we don't use it as much anymore because it feels like, well, that's kind of what we've always done. Let's do something fresh. And, and I feel like that we've kind of forgotten what 1 Corinthians 13 is really about because 1 Corinthians 13 was written to the church, and it was written to a specific church, for some very specific reasons. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. Uh, Corinth was originally a Greek city. It was a seaport city. And around 55 BC, it was completely destroyed by the Romans. And then over the next 50 years, they rebuilt it. And by the time the Apostle Paul is writing his letter, again, now roughly around 55 AD, uh, it, is, it is this thriving, wealthy city of commerce, of education, uh, all of this going on. And uh, they, they estimate at its peak, maybe 700,000 people lived in Corinth. It's a major city in the world at this point. And Paul has gone in and he has gone, he went first to the synagogue uh, and, and then the gospel spread throughout Corinth and churches were planted there. Paul actually stayed in Corinth for three three years to establish the church, and then he left, he went to Rome, and then he, he's in Ephesus, and he actually writes the letter to, to the church in Corinth from Ephesus. And, and the reason he writes is something has been happening in Corinth. Now, Corinth had all these churches, and, and, and the, the gospel had really uh, gone out, and the church had grown, and all of these incredible things were happening. And so if you just looked on the surface, you'd think, what, is, what a successful model. What a, what a great thing has happened. This church has grown, and it's spread, and all of these people are involved, and their lives are getting changed. But it was still a really immature church. It was still a really young church. And so they had gotten really caught up in, in the things that we've been talking about. Somebody must have done a Cure for the Common Life series in Corinth because they were really enamored with the gifts of the Spirit and, and all the things that they could do. And so they, they began to exercise all of these gifts. And, and what happened is that they, they forgot that why God had given them those gifts. They forgot what the point was in those gifts. So when we come to this letter, we have this amazing group of people, this church, that are doing really good things, but for the wrong reasons. They've forgotten why God built them. They've forgotten what God intended in the first place. And so Paul writes this letter to correct them. They were exercising gifts. They were doing all these great things. But here's, here's another thing that was happening is that, that as we've read through those gifts and, and they were using their gifts, they were starting to get into cliques. And they were starting to decide who had the stronger gifts and who had the most important strengths and and who was better at this and who was better at that. And so we see this church in Corinth that's fractured uh, by people lifting up various things and deciding that they were more spiritual than than anybody else. And Paul is looking at this and, and he's thinking, you've forgotten the purpose of the church. You've forgotten why you're here. And so he writes this letter to correct it. And it begins here in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to three, Paul says this, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Wow. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, 
I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the uh, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all the faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I gain nothing. So this is how he opens it up. I'm pretty sure he wanted to get their attention. Uh, the first thing he talks about is this, is this person, if I have all the tongues, if I can, I read about a man who could read 34 different languages and speak in about half of them, uh, you know, he would qualify for the smartest kid in class, but Jesus said, or Paul said here uh, to the church that if I had all, if I could understand all the languages, the heavenly languages, everything, if I, if I was the smartest person in the world and I could go anywhere, you could drop me in any country in the world and I could share the gospel with them and I could tell them the truth and if I could do all of that but I didn't have love, he said it's just noise. It doesn't change anybody's heart, it doesn't change anybody's life, it's just noise. That's hard for us, isn't it? Because we, we think about how valuable it is to be eloquent and how valuable it is to be smart and educated and all of those things. And Paul says, let me help you to understand this. You can have all of that, but if you don't love, it's just noise. People are gonna cover their ears. People are gonna turn away. It's not gonna change lives. It's not gonna matter. It's just going to be noise to them. And then he continues with the idea, if I have all the prophetic powers, I can speak for God and, and I understand all the mysteries. There's nothing that I don't understand in the scripture and, and about God and I, I know all of these things. Um, and if I have all the faith so I can say to a mountain, mountain move and it moves. If I can do all of that, he says, all these amazingly powerful things. I go from being the great intellect and, and the eloquent speaker and now I have all this power and authority and I can say all these things. He said, but if you can do all of that, and you don't love, here's what he says, it's so fascinating. He says, if I have all the faith as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. We've just gone from it is nothing to I am nothing. He's saying, yeah, you, you might have all of those gifts, but you know what it takes to really be someone? Do you know what it takes to really be something? It takes love. Love is the thing that empowers all of that. Love is the thing that ignites all of that. And if you sell out for, for saying, I'm the smartest kid in the class, or you sell out saying, I have the most powerful gifts and I have all of these strengths, but you don't love people, your life doesn't change anyone. It doesn't matter. Here's the problem. Is the people in Corinth forgot that all of these things were gifts from God. They, somehow they began to think it was about them, that they were exercising those gifts so that people would see them exercising those gifts, that they were doing good things so people would see them doing good things. And, and before they knew it, they were doing these things for themselves. It was for, uh, for building themselves up. It was for impressing other people with who they were. It wasn't for the kingdom. It wasn't for God. It wasn't out of love for him. It was out of love for themselves. And Paul says that that isn't gonna do anything. That isn't gonna save anyone. That is just going to be noise to everybody else. And, and you know, maybe you don't feel like that's your deal, but here's, here's where we all struggle. And is, is that we, we all love to be appreciated, right? We all love to be known. We all wanna, we, we desire to be respected. 
admired, remembered, all of those things. And, and so the tricky part of that for us is that, is that we begin to do these things that maybe even initially we thought were for the Lord and maybe initially they were with the best motives and out of love for God. And all of a sudden we realized how good it felt for people to say, you're awesome. What a spiritual person. What a great leader. Oh, whatever. The, and we began to do those things for the applause, for the recognition and all of a sudden, without even realizing it, we just become noise. We don't become part of what God is wanting to do in the world, but we're just excess noise because we're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for our own recognition. Paul is painting this picture for us. He wants us to understand what it means we're doing the right things for the wrong reasons, turning our gifts into something that's solely for our benefit, and, and not for the benefit of others, not for the benefit of the kingdom. Yeah, Paul continues this idea in the next few verses. Let me see if I can hold my page open. He talks about love a little more extensively, but let me, I, there was one thing I wanted to uh, admit to you that um, this may come as a shock, but when I was early married, I was an expert in love. Seriously, come on, why are you laughing? I was an expert in love. Uh, I had a mom, I had a sister, I dated girls before I got married, and I knew love. And so I remember vividly the, our first Valentines as a married couple, and, and I do wanna say disclaimer because Gary Chapman hadn't written the five love languages yet, so <laughs> I was a little bit at a handicap, but it was our first Valentines and I bought Jenna this really expensive, beautiful bouquet of flowers, you know, oh, the thing with the vase and the whole deal. And I was thinking I'm husband of the year, you know, and I'm gonna show her how much I love her and how great she is, how great a husband I am, uh, how much I appreciate her, all of these things. I was gonna show her by bringing home these beautiful, gorgeous flowers that were way more than I could afford. Man, we had no money at all, and, uh, but we had flowers. Um, no food, probably, but flowers, you know. And um, it, I immediately, when I presented this wonderful Valentine's gift, I immediately realized that it, something was wrong. And what, what I didn't understand is that she thought it was very nice of me, uh, you know, she got it, you know, the idea, but I had just spent all of our money on something that was gonna look nice for like three days and then die and get thrown out. And so when you don't have any money and you <laughs> spend all of your money on something that's gonna look nice for maybe three days and then it's just gonna get thrown in the trash, it, it just wasn't the kind of expression of love uh, that she was looking for. Again, you know, years later, the book, I'm good, but then I had to figure out what, okay, what went wrong here? And what I realized is that I was thinking about me. I was thinking about, okay, this is, I'll do this. She'll think this is so great. She'll appreciate my, the sacrifice, on and on. It was about me. It wasn't about what, what can I do that's gonna be incredibly meaningful to the woman that I love, that I've given my life to. How can I show her? How can I express my love to her? How can I honor her on Valentine's? I was thinking about me. And I had to learn this hard lesson that, that the nicest things that we do sometimes for somebody else is really more about us than it is about them. And the Lord is trying to get our attention 
through 1 Corinthians 13 that sometimes we do all kinds of nice things. We do all kinds of righteous things, uh, the things that people would assume are godly, but we're doing it about us. It's not about him. So he continues, Paul continues in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. He says this, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. My goodness. Um, so how are you doing? Let's just say you take a pop quiz and you put your name in there. You know, Larry is um, patient and kind. Larry does not envy or boast. Larry's not arrogant or rude. Larry does not insist on his own way. Uh, Larry's not irritable or resentful, uh, does not rejoice in wrongdoing. And I give myself a little pop quiz. It's kind of embarrassing because I really fall short in love. Um, Paul starts this with, with kind of two umbrella words. Th this was considered a great hymn back in the early church, that they would sing this or chant it or quote it often uh, in the church. And uh, they, this was something that they, everybody had, you know, if you went to church very often, everybody had this memorized. It was just part uh, of their worship. It was part of their worship service, you know. They put it to the lute and the lyre, whatever they did with them, you know. But they would use this constantly until they all knew ex all of these words. And it began with these two words, that love is patient and love is kind. And th that forms sort of an umbrella over all of the, the rest of them. There are 15 uh, verbs that are used to express what love really looks like. And the first two are patience and kindness. Now, patience is kind of a passive word. Uh, patience carries it with it that idea of, of waiting, uh, of being patient, uh, of uh, being at peace, not being in a big hurry. Um, and the, the picture that Paul wants us to have in this is that it's a picture of God's patience for us. That God is, there's another Old Testament word, long-suffering, that God suffers uh, long for us, that God has, a, he has patience with us, that he forgives us. You know, what if you went to pray and, and you said, Lord, you know, forgive me for these things I've done this last week, and, and, and what if all of a sudden there's this voice out of heaven that said, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Aren't those the three things that you talked about last week? Yeah, well, yeah, well, aren't they, aren't they the three things that you talked about the week before? Yeah, well, I've decided there's a three strikes rule here, and you're done. You've just struck out. You're done. But God doesn't treat us like that, does he? He doesn't treat us the way we tend to treat other people, but God is long-suffering. God is patient. He keeps drawing us to himself. He forgives us. He gives us a new morning. He gives us a fresh start. He makes us a new creation. God is so patient with us. He even says, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to return so that more people can respond, so that more people can respond to my, to my love, to come to know me. God is incredibly patient with us, and he's simply saying, can you treat others the way I've treated you? That's all I'm asking. Can you do that? Can you wait? Can you trust me for the results? And so he uses sort of this passive idea of waiting, of patience, and then an active 
word of kindness. Love is patient and love is kind. So he's saying to us, look, (laughs) can you be kind to one another? You, you, you see, you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't, if you're not kind, then what, what does that do? What, what does that say to people? It just says you're trying to get them in line. You're just trying to show them how good you are and, and how bad they are and how much they need to get in, in line. But he's saying, I want you to be kind to one another. I want you to show kindness. And why is that so important? Because of God's kindness towards us. That, that the Romans says that while we were yet sinners, God in his great mercy sent his son to die for us. And God's kindness for us he forgives us. In God's kindness for us, he gives us his son. In God's kindness for us, he gives us those gifts, all of those things. And so now he says that the first two things that we need to remember, the first two pictures of what it means to love that we have to look at are patience and kindness. And you know, we, don't, we tend to think of love differently, don't we? Uh, we, we tend to think of love as something that we do for each other. Uh, we, we tend to think of love about how we feel about other people. Uh, but most of you know that, that, you know that love in the scripture is really different, that, that there's this word, this Greek word for love in the scripture that's agape, and if you've gone to church like 12 times, you've all heard agape, and you feel like you know it really well, but agape is such a huge word. In fact, it's so important that it's only used three times or four times outside of scripture that it's really a word that's been, it, that talks about who God is. It talks about the love of God. It's an un conditional word. It says that it doesn't demand an object. God just loves you because he created you. He loves you because he loves you. He's given himself to you because he values you. It's not because of what you can do for him. It's simply because God is love and therefore he loves us and he calls us then to live in that love for other people. So love is patient and kind. And then he goes through some of the more negative uh, parts of it that love doesn't envy or boast, not arrogant or rude, all of those things, you can, you understand that. Uh, we all know that being arrogant is not a positive thing, right? Uh, being in, envious is not a good thing. It, that, it reminds us that we're comparing ourselves to others and we're not, we're not looking at ourselves the way Christ looks at us. We don't need to explain the other words but, but here's but what we often do is we often put our names in there. We give ourselves the pop quiz. Here's what, here's what the Lord really wants to teach us this morning. If you really want to understand this passage, put Jesus' name in there, uh, that Jesus is patient and kind. If you want the ultimate expression of love, look at who Christ is. Then 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 to 12, it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. What do we all know about children? What would, like, you know, second word they learn after mommy, daddy, whatever it is, is mine, right? Um, you know, when you think like a child, you are the center of the universe. And Paul says there's a point where we all think like children and the universe revolves around us. And it's what I want at the moment and if I don't get it, I'm gonna have a little temper tantrum. 
Um, I loved it when my middle son, Josh, called me one day and he said, Dad, he was talking to me about his son. He said, Dad, he's me. And I said, good, you deserve one of you. <laughs> I said, has he thrown himself on the floor kicking and screaming yet? He said, no. I said, well, you did. You're getting off easy now, you know? That's being a child. But Paul says, when that's being childish. And I put off those things because now I see I'm in a mirror dimly, but when I'm face to face with Christ, uh, I now I know in part, but then I, shall know, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known, that Christ has fully known me, and he has been patient and kind with me. I wanna see him face to face. That's when all of this will become clear, but until that point, I can live in his love. I can trust his love, and love does everything to preserve community. If we really are living in love, then we're not separating ourselves, we're not forming cliques, we're not trying to decide who's the most spiritual and who has the right gifts and who has the right abilities and all of those things, but we're trying hard to serve one another. Even Paul, in fact, even says, outdo each other in love, outdo each other in serving one another. That's the picture that he wants us to have. Love does everything it can to preserve community. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't do those things, but it draws people together. It makes others more important than, your, than yourself. Now I wanna close with this other little story, John 11. It says there was a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany in the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Martha who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, I just want to take a second with this story because I think it, it sort of pulls together all the things that we're talking about. But you picture uh, this, some of the closest friends that Jesus had. You know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, when he would come to Bethany, he would stay at their house. He, he, he knew them intimately. And Mary and Martha, their, their brother Lazarus is sick unto death, right? And they send Jesus a note. And what do they say to Jesus? They don't say, Jesus, come as fast as you can because Lazarus, you know, Lazarus, you know, the, your follower, uh, Lazarus, your friend, they say this is how they address Lazarus who loves you more than anybody else. They don't say any of those things, but they say, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's how they address Jesus. Lord, the one that you love, you know, you know Lazarus, you love him so much, you've given him so much, you've shared your love with him so much. The sisters knew what it would take to move God the most was his love, not trying to explain to him how much we loved him, but recognizing how much he loves us. So what's the focus of the gospel? Is it man loving God or is it God loving man? John 3.16 doesn't say, for the world so loved God, or so we so loved God that he sent his only, only son, but John 3.16 says that for God so loved us, so God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that that's what the gospel means, that God has reached down to us and he's inviting us then to live in his love. It's about his love for us. It's, it begins with him. So do you wanna know how to love? Do you wanna know what it means to live out this love that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13? Here's the secret, that we begin to live in the love that God has for us, that we begin to experience the love that God has for us, that I recognize that all of this is possible, not because of who I am, but because of how much God loves me. It's hard for us to get our arms around, isn't it? Because we're so 
caught up. We're so bound with this idea that I, it's about me. I've got to do something. I've got to show you how much I love. I've got to show you uh, that I love God more than you do. I've got to show you I love God more than anybody else. I, I've got to show God how much I love him. And God says, it's not about you. It's about me. Begin to recognize how much I love you. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world. 1 John 4, 8 teaches us that God is love, that when he loves us, he's expressing himself. The full expression of God is his love for us. God loves you. And it's not because you're so good looking. Trust me, I'm up here, you're down there. It's not for all the cool cool things that you've done. It's not for how impressed he is with you. But God just loves you because he's love. And if somehow we could begin to just sit and enjoy the presence of God and his love for us and say, Lord, it's not about what I do. I know I can't impress you. I, I, I know I can't do anything to make you love me more. I just want to experience your love. Then we can begin to live that love out with other people. 1 John 4, 17, 18 tells us that we love because he first loved us. Why do we love? because he first loved us. We can have all the gifts and the strengths in the world, but if we don't have love, we're just noise. But when we begin to understand that because of God's love for us, that I can express that love in the world, we love because he first loved us. Finally, at the end of this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. Faith, hope, and love live in you. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you for how you've expressed your word so beautifully to us. Thank you for your love for us. Lord, thank you that your desire is for us to to somehow allow your love to fill us to such an extent that your love for us can flow through us to love others. That, Lord, we can be an extension of your love to the world. That it's not about us, Lord, and it's not about how great we are, how gifted we are, how spiritual we are, but it's about how loved we are by you. So, Lord, we want to receive your love this morning. We want to live in your love. We want your love to flow through us into a world that so desperately needs your love. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. You know, when I think about my own life, I think God's love is a little reckless uh, because how much he loves me, um, you know, and I I put myself in the knucklehead category. I don't know about you guys, but um, God has expressed his love for me in such powerful ways and and how I want to live my life is an expression of his love. Uh, How an expression of how much I feel I am loved by God and how I know I'm loved by God. Uh, My prayer is simply this, that, that we will experience the love of Christ 
uh, that will allow him uh, to love us, uh, that will rest in his love, that will enjoy his love. Um, so I'm going to pray for us this morning, pray a blessing, but I'm also going to add, um, I, this Facebook uh, has a couple of things that I like about it, birthdays and, um, and then catching up with people around me. So one of my favorite veterans just got home a couple days ago uh, from a tour of duty, and I'm reminded of uh, this weekend of celebrating uh, folks that have served and continue to serve uh, us. And so I also want to just lift the, those people up too for us, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your love is unconditional, that your love is complete, that your love isn't dependent on our behavior or our strengths or our giftedness, but Lord, you simply love us because you are love, and we thank you this morning. And again, Lord, we receive that love in the name of Jesus. Uh, Lord, thank you for um, the privilege we have to worship in freedom this morning. Thank you for those who give their lives uh, for that cause, for risk their lives, for to serve us in that cause. We pray that you bless all of our folks in this service um, today, Lord. We give you praise. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great day.